The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. We are approximately four days out from Fallout 4, which is going to try and make its case for being the biggest RPG of the year. We've got a glut of open world RPGs this year between The Witcher 3, Fallout 4, um, Xenoblade Chronicles, or not Xenoblade Chronicles, but um, the new one, Xenoblade Chronicles X. There we go. Yes. And joining me to talk about open world RPGs and Bethesda in particular is our old friend Steve Tramer. Hi everybody. Hi Kat. How you doing? So are you picking up Fallout 4, Steve? Uh, I will pick up Fallout 4 the moment that it goes on sale for $5. Just like I always do with every Bethesda game. Well the way Steam's going these days, that should be, what, next month? It happens super fast with Bethesda games. Like, I don't know what it is about them in particular, but it's like... Next summer, during the summer sale, it'll probably be down to like 10. I'll pick it up then if it's good. Are you playing the PC version or the console version? 100% the PC version. Like I'm, because, um, I know that the Xbox One version is going to have mods, but I do not have an Xbox One. I, no one, no word on the PS4 version having mods, correct? No word on that, no. Yeah. So we can assume at this point that it probably won't. But yeah, uh, Bethesda games are pretty much unplayable unless you mod the hell out of them. Mm -hmm. So, PC it is. Yeah, I am playing Fallout 4 on the PlayStation 4 right now, and you can expect my review on Tuesday. I think I would have ordinarily have preferred to play it on PC, but I got the console version before I got a PC version, so console version it is. Yeah, well, it's interesting because so many people play these games on console now anyway. That might actually be a better focal point for a review, to be honest. Yeah, I think so. Um, Arthur Dees from Polygon was tweeting that he really wants Bethesda to release Skyrim on Xbox One or PS4 or whatever. Uh-huh. And I'm like, why would you do that? Skyrim's already amazing on the PC, and I've put god knows how many hours into it and you can mod the hell out of it and the mods already look way better than anything you will ever get on the xbox one but then i thought about it and i was like but on the other hand i've also invested something on the order of like fifteen hundred dollars in a pretty sturdy gaming pc (laughs) yeah um my pc that i do gaming on is it's an htpc that's i think at this point it's about four or four-ish years old, it's mm. finally starting to show its age. Like, it had a top-of-the-line graphics card in it when it came out, which means that it's probably about time to upgrade. Yeah, so. PCs last a surprisingly long time now. It does, but I can no longer play every single game that comes out on the highest graphical settings. Mm. So, that means it's starting to show its age. Not enough that I need to replace it, but enough that I know that in two or three years I'm going to have to replace it. Well, hey, four years is about the life cycle for your average console at this point. I know, which is why I've always loved the PC. Not just because it gets all the weird stuff, but also because you buy one, and if you invest well enough in the beginning, it lasts longer than a console. But if you invest enough, it also costs twice as much as a console. I just remember that once upon a time, four years, basically PCs would be three times, four times as powerful after four years, and... Oh, yeah, like, cons- early- compare the PCs of 1994 to the ones in 1998. Oh, yeah. Like, in the 90s and the early 2000s, the PC was definitely on an upgrade treadmill. I think that that's, you know, I didn't really think about this before, That's but that combined with the PlayStation and PlayStation 2, probably why PC gaming wasn't so hot for about a decade. Yep, and but then digital distribution took off, and PC kind of came back around. And it also certainly helped that people made... Games on PC that everybody could play and were relatively cheap, so you could play them on your laptop or whatever. Yeah. Bless you, Steam, for making PC gaming so cheap, but also that's a bad thing. We can talk about that some other time, though. Today is open-world RPGs. Today is indeed open-world RPGs. Steve, I'm kind of curious. Let's start. What's your take on the genre? Do you like them? Um, Do you actively seek them out? Do you think they're overrated? So... 
I have kind of a spotty history with them because um, when I was growing up, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I was I had a Macintosh. I was one of those kids. Oh, um, you were a Jeremy yeah, Parrish. I was a Jeremy Parrish. Um, <laughs> and much like Jeremy Parrish, I th- I think that Jeremy played Exile at the time, um, which was a spider web software game. It's a, yeah. a lot like Ultima. Yeah, so that was kind of my first experience with open world RPGs. I played a bunch of that. I played a lot of a game called uh, Taskmaker, which is this really weird turn-based action RPG. It was, but it was positively massive. Um, and there were a couple other ones. So, I, and I really enjoyed those when I was a kid and had the time to sink into them. And then later on in life, when I actually got like a gaming PC and the Fallout games were available. Um, in fact, all the Black Isle games, I played a lot of, um, I played a lot of Planescape too. Like I, I played through all of those and I thought those were really great. Um, modern open world RPGs, I'm not a huge fan of. I've spent a couple hours with Morrowind and then I've f- described Oblivion more than once as the worst game I played for 110 hours. Oh yeah, you told me that when I was playing Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, I told you that when I was playing Skyrim, and then later when I played Skyrim, that's my new game that is the worst game I've played for 110 hours. I don't like, know. The, thing, the thing about those about open world RPGs to me is that they're so massive and there's so much stuff in them that you find one really cool thing just often enough to keep you playing, or at least that's kind of the way that that I find them. And that's what keeps me going. It's like every five or six hours, there will be one really cool thing, and I want the next cool thing. Um, the only one that didn't give me that recently that was the that was a Bethesda game was Fallout Three. Like I, I really do not like Fallout Three at all. Um, but I love New Vegas. New Vegas is a fantastic game. Funny how people have come around to New Vegas to the extent that they have, because when it came out, people were really deriding it as. Well, they were really deriding the bugs. They hated the bugs. Yeah, so New Vegas is a super buggy game. Um, and also when it came out, it got derided. Do you know the story about how... I think this was the first time that um, Metacritic scores affecting developers really came to light. Um, the fact that on Metacritic, New Vegas got an 89 instead of a 90. Uh, the developers didn't get their bonuses. They lost the option to make a second Fallout game, and most of them got laid off. Wow. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> So there's there's your lesson. I think that that was, yeah, that was when New Vegas came out, which was 2010-ish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, and that was like right in the era of EA Spouse and stuff too. So this was when people in the gaming community were finding, starting to find out a lot more about how reviews um, affected working conditions at gaming companies, which were never great to begin with. But yeah, it's, um, I'm not, 100% sure on the details of the story I just gave you, but I know I know that it's the difference between the 89 and the 90. It definitely affected the bonuses. Like, everything else I th- is speculation, but, I mean, it sounds pretty reasonable. So, okay. Let's, let's stick with Fallout New Vegas for a little bit. What yeah. is it about that game that you like in particular? So, I think that it has a lot to do with... Um, I actually talked with Frank Cifaldi about with this on Twitter (laughs) about this a little bit earlier today. It's that the, like a really good open world RPG to me has more than just combat stuff in it. It's about, it is a game about manipulating idiots. Like, and that is a (laughs) hundred percent all that new Vegas is. It is a game about manipulating idiots. Um, And then also I'm really fond of the Southwest desert settings of fallout games. It just seems to suit them better than the fallout three, um, urban stuff and um, i'm curious about fallout 4 because it looks like it has both the city of boston and some of the surrounding areas which are um not just suburbs but there's also a lot of wilderness so i'm really intrigued by that um but yeah like the f- big empty expanses to me are just part of what makes fallout fallout and new vegas has tons of that um, and it's especially great playing it on the pc because there are just so many mods you can dump in that are like realistic nighttime lighting where the light that you get is nothing but the light from the stars and the moon. So it's impossible to see at night. Um, and then it also has like kind of that baby survival mechanic where you need to eat and drink, which is stuff that I actually like in games. Um, I like the survival mechanic. That was fun. Yeah, it is fun. Um, and then it also has old world blues, which is maybe the best DLC ever created for a game. Like I don't, I haven't played a whole bunch of like, um, 
the uh, the Dark Souls 2 stuff, which I know people are crazy for, but I love Old World Blues. I mean, it's another 20 or 30 hour game that you paid at the time when it came out. It was like 15 bucks. What? It, I vaguely remember this, but can you refresh my so memory? So it was like the B-movie, the sci-fi B-movie kind of uh, scripted thing where you, where the player got teleported out to the big empty um, which was like a research facility outside in the middle of the ne- nowhere in the Nevada desert. And there were a bunch of these robots um, that were obviously former researchers that were basically brains in a jar. And they gave you these wacky, dumb quests and the writing was really humorous. Um, and the content was super good. Um, like the mission that I remember best is that uh, one of the the brains in a jar sent you to like a recreation of a high school to sneak through it uh, and not get killed by death robots to simulate, um, to simulate going through a communist infiltrated high school to, to restore all American values. Like it was a lot of writing like that. It was the most fallouty of fallout writing. I, so here are the things that I recall about fallout new Vegas. I did the guide for it, by the way. So the way I played it was really unnatural. Uh, You played it like a straight A to B. No, I had to do everything. Oh, yeah, no, you have mentioned this to me before, yeah. So what I would do is I would go do a quest, and then I would reload it and basically do it again, but do it in the different way so that I could get the screenshots and, like, the footage and all that. Oh, yeah, because you had to play both the uh, New California Republic and the Legion playthroughs on every single mission then. Yeah, it was actually kind of interesting to see how it all came together because I realized that... There was a core set of missions, but a lot of them apply to both factions, or like to all of the factions that were in the game. Uh-huh. But there was just like an A side and a B side. So I think the best example I can think of is there's a mission where you have to, if you're the California Republic side, you have to save like the president. Yeah. And then if you're on the Caesar side, you have to kill the president. You're like the assassin. Yeah. No, that kind of stuff is really cool. That's another thing that I really liked about New Vegas is that it has... Because not a lot of the Bethesda games have this. I mean, like, they're... It's either Bethesda or Bioware. It's like, the depending on what you like is the standard for open-world RPGs these days. But not a lot of Bethesda games have that level of replayability where there's separate where there's separate main quest lines within the single quest. I guess Skyrim kind of has that. Um, I think New Vegas does it better than Skyrim. Yeah, but I'll also be honest with you. In the 110 hours of Skyrim I played, I never advanced the main quest to the point where I had to make that decision, which is, frankly, bonkers that there could be that much in that game where I could play it for 100 hours without advancing the main quest line. I advanced it, but I did not advance it to the point where it forced me to pick a faction. Frankly, I resented that it did make me pick a faction. You kind of you wanted to do the thing where you were just like, "Screw both of you guys, you both suck." Yeah, but actually, what I ended up doing was I ended up siding with the Empire uh-huh. because I didn't like the Nords particularly, even though my character was a Nord. So I should have theoretically, if I had been role playing it, I should have theoretically been more sympathetic to the Nords. Yeah, but I found their racism kind of off-putting. Yeah, the Skyrim is a really weird game with like some of the stuff that, like some of the racist stuff that it has in it, like the the racial analysis stuff. It's always weird to see that in video games, um, but especially video games where it's all just a bunch of white dudes. Super yeah. bizarre. Oh, I mean, well, they're racist against the like the different species, like the oh. elves and stuff. Yeah, of course, but still, it is still it's like super weird. Like fantasy racism like that is always been bizarre to me like i understand what it's there for and how it functions but also it's you're right it is really off-putting because it's in a way it trivializes like this very real problem especially in a world like skyrim where yeah there are black people too (laughs) yeah yeah fantastic racism I'm not entirely sure what the point that they're trying to make with that is, but I guess they're just trying to add texture to the world and make it more realistic. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's another problem I've had with, um, like, there's a reason why I don't really like Bioware games, even though they're just straight up my alley, is that 
they're just stuffed with lore. Mm-hmm. Like to me, lore is the worst thing about open world RPGs um, or being railroaded into lore, I should say. Which Bioware games do a lot of, which is why I don't like them much. Um, and then in the Bethesda games, it tends to be largely optional how much lore you want to get. But, I mean, if I want to read a bad novel, I can do that outside of a video <laughs> game. <laughs> the funny thing is, the reason you get like railroaded into so much lore um, is because these people at Bioware and elsewhere spend hundreds upon hundreds of hours putting I, this lore together. And they're I super know. proud of it. Um, because, you know, they're nerds. We're nerds. And what did you want to do when you were like 11, 12, 13 years old? You wanted to create your own fantasy world, right? You wanted to create your own sci-fi setting, etc. So to be able to do that as an adult is fantastic. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Like why they do it and why they're proud of it and why they put players through it. Because that's, it's what those games are, right? Like, you play a Bioware game to go through and get all of that story and all of that lore. And their their writers do tend to be pretty good. It's just that that's totally... As an adult who has to choose where to invest my time, I would just prefer to spend it elsewhere, right? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And frankly, most of the time, I don't particularly care about the lore in a game, especially not a fantasy game, where I feel completely... Where I just, the setting is completely made up, right? So, like, all of everything that they say is just words. Like, people are super into the Game of Thrones (laughs) lore, for example, Mm -hmm. which I understand. It's, like, really in depth and kind of interesting, and it, like, taps into historical parallels and all that stuff. And it's very War of the Roses. But at the end of the day, it's a lot of, like, weird names and like made up battles and you're like okay yeah whatever yeah no i mean like i totally get people who are into that um because i love actual history and it's just like whether you're into actual history or this fake ass history i don't think it matters much it's just that the fake history doesn't really appeal to me as a person um which yeah and you know like i think that i've played some bioware games for a little while but it it's like this exact thing that I couldn't get into. I think I did end up playing some of the first few hours of Mass Effect because I really like the space cop stuff. Like, that would have been an awesome game. Uh, that's just not what Mass Effect is. So Mass eh. Effect kind of turned into, I mean, Lord of the Rings? <laughs> A little bit, yeah, my understanding of the later games. Well, it was like it's... Babylon 5 without the... Without the I, I don't want to call it subversive, but... Babylon 5 took Lord of the Ring, did Lord of the Rings, but they also subverted the formula a fair amount. So, yeah. whereas Mass Effect played it very straight. Yeah, and that's another thing about like all the lore stuff that if I want to read Lord of the Rings, I can read Lord of the Rings too, right? Um, I think that Bethesda's done a pretty good job of getting further away from that kind of stuff in Skyrim. Like, not a perfect job of it. But they're getting better at it, and I just I want to see fantasy stuff that is not Lord of the Rings. Like that would be awesome. I would absolutely play that game. Well, now we're getting into Game of Thrones. Yeah, I know we're getting into Game of Thrones, which I have different problems with. So the thing that always kind of cracked me up about Dragon Age is that it's like it's the fantasy flavor of the week, where it when Dragon Age Origins came out in like what was it 2010. Lord of the Rings was still very influential. Like, I would say more influential than it is now. Um, just because the trilogy was still, I, I think, fresher in our memories, even just then. Um, and so, like, Dragon Age Origins felt very Lord of the Rings, but then they tacked a Song of Ice and Fire kind of story in onto it because Game of Thrones was just starting to come into its own at that time. Yeah. And then... But then you fast forward to Dragon Age Inquisition, and it's definitely cribs a lot from Skyrim, including the sound effects, um, and the way that it handles its open world. And it's gotten way more Game of Thronesy, um, with stuff like the Orlesian Ball and stuff. And it's just like, you, you can read like the, you can get a, you can kind of take the temperature of where fantasy is just by playing a Dragon Age game. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really curious what the next thing after 
like all the the Game of Thrones stuff blows over is going to be. I'm hoping that we don't get stuck with like the low fantasy subversive thing for another 20 or 30 years because that's going to get super boring. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that stuff is really interesting when it first came out. Like I read the first couple of uh, the first couple of Game of Thrones books, and those are good. So when it comes to Bethesda games, I prefer the Elder Scroll games to Fallout. I'm going to be 100% on board with you there because so really? far... Really? Uh, I yeah. figured that you would like the Fallout games better. So the only Bethesda game has been Fallout 3 mm-hmm. so far. Um, and I do not like Fallout 3 at all. Mm. Um, like from a lore standpoint, like I think it's fine. Like I've always been way more into the weird ass um, 50s apocalypse throwback lore of Fallout than fantasy lore kind of thing. Um, but the... Fallout 3 is just not a very good game. Like, that's really what it comes down to for me, is that it's a whole bunch of cut-and-paste levels that are really boring to go through, and that makes it tedious. Like, I played... Even though I didn't like them, I was able to play Oblivion and Fallout and Skyrim for, like, 100 hours plus. Um, I think I played Fallout 3 for maybe 20 before saying that, okay, I'm done with this. What was it about... What do you mean by cut and paste levels? Like just the fact that it's all kind of garbagey looking wrecked levels. Yeah, it's kind of, it's all like garbagey looking blocky structures, which I totally understand that that's like what the DC area is, like especially the suburbs. Um, but then also there's like all the subway areas, which are, which are feel like if are not literally cut and paste from each other. Like it's, you kind of go through one of them, you've gone through all of them. And you go through them so many times. It's really tedious and unfortunate. And Fallout 3 didn't have a great story either. A lot of people complain about that. Yeah, the story is not great. Um, that is one where I actually kind of gave up on the subquest stuff because I just hated traveling around the world so much. So I advanced the story to almost its end point, I think. And it's that was another thing is that I kind of lost interest there. Um, like the Enclave stuff is good. You know, it's fine or whatever, but it's not the part of Fallout that really interests me a whole bunch. Hmm. Yeah, I think Fallout New Vegas, getting back to what we were saying about New Vegas, I think it's definitely the better, uh, it, it's the more interesting game for sure. And I think that it handles its faction stuff better than uh, Skyrim even for the most part. Um, though... I I kind of want when I was playing it, I I wanted to do a thing where I wanted to see if I could play all of the sides against one another. What I really wanted to do is see if I could get in just good enough with the Caesar that I could get near him and then kill him. Oh, I totally did that. You did, and I then totally I wanted to that. side w- and then just go back and side with the California bearer. Republic guys. I think I went, I can't remember whether I ended up siding with NCR or if I ended up killing those guys too. But I do, I do distinctly remember like getting in pretty good with Caesar and then just going into the camp and and blowing him away. Like that was actually, that was a lot of fun. Um, so the other thing that you mentioned there about like the faction stuff and how the New Vegas storyline seems to be a little better is, so there's actually, um, a little history tidbit about that, which is that the original Fallout 3 by Black Isle, there's like a published design document for it that leaked. That's about 100 pages long. Um, mm. And a lot of the stuff in there, they recycled for New Vegas, like all of the yeah. Legion stuff, uh, especially like that game was originally going to take place in, I think, Colorado. So New Vegas is almost a sequel to a game that never got released, which is kind of cool. Yeah, the original is going to be actually fallout 3 right or they yeah, it had it was, a different name for it i forget what it is it was van buren was what they were van call buren it. but that was the code name right but it was yeah, actually going to be fallout 3 yeah that was the code name for it it was going to be fallout 3 yeah um if there's one thing that i appreciate about new vegas was it was the willingness to take it out west because i sort of feel like bethesda is a little too comfortable on the east coast <laughs> Well, I mean, like, all of Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 take place in the Southwest, because that's where Black Isle was based. Like, it's uh. the exact, it's the same kind of thing where, um, I mean, in Fallout 3, you can even find the Bethesda buildings and go through them. Right. So right. Bethesda, basically, they're doing what they know, which right. is the East Coast. Yeah, you're 
it seems like I think that that's actually sort of a tradition in the Fallout games, as much as you can say a series that has, what is it, five entries, and gets soon to be six, has a tradition to it, which is that these games are basically set in the backyard of where the developers work. So here's why I prefer Elder Scrolls to the Fallout universe. I like the Fallout universe. I like its sense of humor for the most part, but I'm not a big fan of post-apocalyptic settings because I everything in Fallout is wrecked and crap and broken and rusted and faded and kind of gross. And so it has its moments of beauty and it's and some of the technology is cool and everything and I and I like the retro 50s thing even if it's a tiny bit cliche in the way that it's approached. But when you're in that world, like, just all the time, it it's bleak and it's not a lot of fun, right? No, I can totally get where you're coming from, even though I don't 100% feel that way about it. Mm. And and actually, now I'm thinking about, you like New Vegas the best, those New Vegas is the only one of those games that still has, like, a sim, like, one of those really pretty, well-civilized areas that has, like, a semblance of not being destroyed, which is... New Vegas itself. Yeah. Right? Which yeah, I-, I mean, kind of, for the most part. Like, I'm thinking back to it. There's the one hotel full of the cannibals. Yeah, that place, that mission is great. I that was a that. great mission. <laughs> so that's uh, the other... That's the did other you thing get I- them back to cannibalism? Um, I think that I accidentally killed one of them <laughs> and then had to kill them all, because uh, that's the way that it works. Um, no, that is actually one of the other things that I really liked about New Vegas in contrast to um, to especially Fallout 3 is that there's such a wide variety of stuff to do. Like, even when you're going through the vaults, um, they're different enough, and also every single vault has kind of a different theme to it, which makes it really fun to go through. Hmm. Um, the thing about, like, Oblivion and Skyrim, I didn't put enough time into Morrowind to really dig into its side quests. Like, the only really good quest line in either of those games is the Dark Brotherhood, is the Assassin's Guild quest Yeah, lines. I love the Dark Brotherhood quest oh, line. man, and I found the Dark, I think it was like 60 hours into Oblivion, and I was ready to quit, and I hit that Dark Brotherhood quest line, and it was so much fun that I kept going. Did you, did you just like, you were going through, you were actually like allying yourself with the Dark Brotherhood and killing people, right? You didn't oh, try yeah. to. I was kind of like, people. there is a way to destroy the Dark Brotherhood, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, really? Yeah, like, you can do something where you can turn on them and wipe them out and help somebody out. Oh, that's interesting. I don't remember that at all because I was having too much fun doing things like dropping deer heads on people and getting them to poison each other. It's like Assassin's Creed, but good. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Assassin's Creed. I, I, I keep taking shots at you, but I just don't like you. I don't like you as a series. I'm sorry. But... Yeah, no, the uh, the Dark Brotherhood stuff was great. I was partial to the werewolf uh, storyline. And you talk about really fantastic uh, content, uh, expansion content for an RPG. I thought uh, Dawnguard was really good. Yeah, so I never... Dawnguard was the vampire one for Skyrim, yeah, right? Yeah, that was yeah, the vampire one. I think I played through like two-thirds of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I was definitely having more fun with it than the regular side quest and main quest line. But that was also exactly when I put down the game and was just and just never came back to it. Like that's, right. you know, and that's actually another kind of thing about these games that I think is kind of nice, which is you can just put them down, and if you feel like coming back to it, you can totally do that. Like they're actually really good pick up and play games, even though they're not thought of or marketed in that kind of way. Um, and I don't think many people play them that way either. Like you kind of get your fill and then you're done. I think the other thing I like about Skyrim is that. You can get like really cool buildings and palaces as like your personal residence. <laughs> like I became oh, the yeah. head of the College of Magic and like you get basically Dumbledore's office as your like your cha- personal chamber where you can store things and like do alchemy and all that. Yeah, I got that was another quest line that I almost finished was the Magic was the Mages Guild. Mm. Um, that was one of the first that I did. Yeah, and I liked doing all of the homesteading stuff, too, in the the homesteading expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that's kind of what the building stuff in Fallout 4 looks like, except for hopefully a little more robust. 
I guess I'll find out in the near future. Indeed. Um, but yeah, like I actually had fun with a lot of the stuff in Skyrim. It's just that there was there was so much stuff that wasn't interesting or felt like I was doing it over and over again that I burned out on it. What do you think makes for a good open world RPG quest line? I think that variety is probably the biggest thing. Like if you're going to have a whole bunch of different quest lines, I think it's good to have some variety in there. I mean, like there's a reason why we both singled out the Dark Brotherhood quest lines because they're so different from everything else in those games. Hmm. Um, and the thief quest line in Oblivion is also really good. Like not hmm. as good in Skyrim, but at least it's different stuff. It's like go into this person's house without being seen and get things. And it's like, okay, well, that's totally different than go to this place or go through this dungeon and kill this one guy at the end. Right? Like, there's different fictional reasons for all of it, but it kind of boils down to almost the same stuff all the time. And well, it's, I mean, it, the cannibal storyline we already touched upon in New Vegas was fantastic because there's right. so many different ways to go about it. It could get really dark. Oh, yeah. there's, And that's another thing that, like, I mentioned the vaults in New Vegas, too. Like, there's the one where it's the vault that's all about the elections, hmm. and you have to go in there and manipulate the people into voting the right way. Like, that one's a lot of fun, too. It's There's there's a wide variety of stuff in New Vegas and in the earlier Fallout games, too, that I think is just not matched up by Fallout 3. And then also it's, like, Skyrim, I think, is maybe a little bit better about the mission variety than uh, Oblivion is. Like, especially the main quest stuff, because Oblivion's main quest stuff is abysmally awful. Like, going through those gates to the same two places every time um but yeah it's i, I think really skyrim do... works because it has the dragons yeah the dragon stuff is really the, good. the dragons because like every battle with them feels epic and right. i mean they're just cool right you're like walking around and suddenly there's a friggin dragon it's coming down and it's attacking stuff and you're like freaking out and then everybody immediately starts attacking the dragon and it's messing stuff up and yes. when you kill it, you feel great, right? Because those things are so impressive just to look at. Yeah, I think that the three really big things that you kind of need in a game of this level of scope is that you need a, you need enough variety to maintain a, a player's interest throughout the whole thing. Like, if you want them to play through the whole thing, you need events that feel appropriately epic, like the dragon fights, um in Skyrim or um, like the first couple of times you go through an Oblivion gate in Oblivion, it, like it really is a big deal and it's super cool. Uh, and then you just find out how boring it is the next couple of times you do it. Um, and then there's also, there's like a third thing, which is sort of optional, which I like to call the Far Cry 2 effect, which is that something when something unexpected happens, you can recover from it. And that crazy shit can happen basically at any time. Like maybe, maybe a more modern, uh, analogy would be Spelunky. Like, Spelunky is really good at that. I think that's another big thing for open-world games to kind of need, because without sort of emergent systems happening, then, it, like, you lose interest. Like, it's all about maintaining a player's interest in the world. I I think that, like, just by their very nature, Bethesda games, they just spend so much time building these worlds um, and filling them out and making them interesting. I mean, for God's sake, Fallout 4 was under development for seven years. That, fair, fortunate or not, I was just like, unfortunately, the uh, the quests kind of take a backseat to it at yeah. times. So you can, you're like, you're just like, okay, well, we need we need content. Um, well, we can like we can come up with a certain X number of really good quests, but some of these quests are just going to be like. Go get the thing at the bottom of the big hole in the ground. Right, and I don't mind that, like, some quests being identical. You know, you're going to see that in a game. It's just that sure. they can't all be like that. Like, if I play four or five quests in a row that are all basically the same thing, I'm going to get kind of bored with it. Um, I think one of the things that I don't particularly like about Bethesda's games is that they don't do set pieces especially well. Yeah, they don't. And I think that, so I'm trying to remember, this was several years ago, like when Skyrim came out, there was a Gamasutra interview with the people who like actually construct the dungeons. And there's a, I think it's a team of about 90 people that normally work on a Bethesda game, which is super tiny for games this huge. And then of those 90 people, like four or five of them are the actual level designers. 
and they like kind of they're kind of given these Lego blocks to fit together to make to craft dungeons with, and that's why you see so much repetition. Like it's the only way to make games of this scope with so few people. Um, I don't know if they staffed up for Fallout 4 or anything. Um, but yeah, that's I mean, that's one of the reasons why you don't see as much variety in Bethesda games. It's just because they're these super massive games made by an incredibly small group of people who are mostly focused on doing the lore and writing the main quest line instead of paying attention to all the side quest stuff. Yeah, I was... I think where you can really see the seams is there's a moment in Skyrim. So I played the Empire quest to completion. Uh-huh. I did a lot of side quests and I didn't finish the game. Um, I got like maybe halfway through the main quest. I'm not even sure. But like I was the last time I played it, I was in the middle of the werewolf side quest. So Oh, man. The werewolf side quest is actually a lot of fun. It I is mean, a lot of fun, yeah. I, yeah, actually, in fact, I think the very last thing I did with Skyrim was I turned into a werewolf and I ran around the world seeing how long I could maintain the bloodlust thing where you just kill everyone. <laughs> um, and it turned out to be like it actually you can actually do it for quite a long time. I think I managed like an hour and a half or something. It's pretty crazy. My only goal was to marry the werewolf girl. Um, and then move into the biggest house in the Imperial City. Uh, like that was my main goal for, uh, for Skyrim, but I didn't quite get to that point because I got distracted by some other game, but probably FIFA. Yeah, that's actually another good thing that open world games should have is they should, like, you should be able to kind of make your own goals within the world. Mm. Like, if you're able to say, I want to marry the werewolf girl and move into the biggest house, that sets up kind of your own, like, mini quest line that mandates you go through certain points, even if you don't particularly want to do them. And then along the way, maybe you find something else that you are interested in. And I thought Skyrim was better at that than, say, uh, even New Vegas, which was much more intent on telling a story. Yeah, like that. I will say this for the Bethesda games: they're very good at letting players craft their own stories with them. Yeah, um, which and is I, I mean, that's what benefit. you want in an RPG, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's especially what you want in an open world RPG. Exactly. Yeah. So what I was getting to was I completed, I played the Empire storyline to completion, and the final mission is you're, you know, you're attacking the the Rebel City, the North City, and. I mean, the city was on fire, and there were, like, three guys with me <laughs> running around, like, attacking people, like, in their typical stiff uh, Bethesda kind of way. And I was like, okay. And then I killed some guards. And then finally you get into the throne room, and you kill, like, the leaders, and that's it. Yeah, so... Mentioning that, I'm reminded one of the most popular mods uh, on PC for Skyrim is a mod that actually increases the epic scope of the exact battles that you're talking about. Oh, really? See, this yeah. is why you got to play on the PC. The mods are so awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they it basically it adds like um, tens more people and it. Uh, it encourages their AIs to go aggro on each other on the different sides. So it actually plays out a little bit more like a real battle. Um, which, you know, I didn't advance the, I never advanced the quest line enough to get to the point where I needed something like that. But if you're a person playing these kind of games, that's the sort of thing you want. And that's a really compelling argument for never buying them right when they come out too, which I think is another major detriment of Bethesda games is that the modding community is so awesome and they do so many great things with the tools that they're given that it's actually just worth waiting. Yeah, I agree. And, not only that, but these are games that you don't want to rush through. Um, these are the games that you just kind of want. First of all, you want to wait for the bugs to get fixed to the extent that they can be, because it's going to be a lot of bugs. Yeah, that's where that's the other place where the modders step in. Yeah, that and you also uh, these are games to savor, um, to just enjoy and spend a lot of time with. I always as weird and interesting and insightful as it was to play New Vegas the way it was, I always kind of felt like I got the short end on that one because I essentially was breaking the game and it so totally broke my immersion that my memories of that one are really mixed up. Whereas, like, my adventures in Skyrim are, like, some of the best gaming memories I've ever had, you know? Like, I had a great time with that game. So, um... I feel like these are the kind of games that you just take at a leisurely pace and it's less important than 
you buy it day and date and you just like rip right through it, you know? Anyway, I wanted to get back to Dragon Age Inquisition really quickly um, because I actually wrote an article titled, Does It Hold Up? We're in the middle of kind of going back and looking at the AAA games from last year to see like, how how are they holding up after a year? Like, what kind of DLC do they have? Like, how do people see them? That kind of thing. Yeah, I, I took a look at that one. Yeah, Dragon Age Inquisition really, it, it suffered a lot of backlash, which kind of fair also kind of unfair um but if there's one thing that dragon age inquisition did better than skyrim was set pieces um there were certain big moments in that game that felt big that were a lot of fun it uh, and i i point specifically toward the orlesian ball um, the big finale to the warden storyline and the grand finale, the grand final battle, um, in which you're fighting against, uh, the big bad or whatever. Um, I thought that Dragon Age Inquisition, while it obviously wasn't as open and free as Skyrim, was, did a lot better job of building up to big moments and executing on them. Well, that's one of the advantages of having that super-directed story, right? Is that you can kind of railroad the player into those really big epic set pieces and then design them really well. Like, I mean, I think that we can agree that the first dragon battle in Skyrim, which you basically do get railroaded into, is super great. Like, that's really good. Oh, no, it's... When I played that the first time in, like, 2011, I was like, whoa, this is phenomenal, my gosh. Yeah, and I mean, that's really, that's the advantage of a Bioware-style game, where you're going through all that lore, and they really are trying to push you hard down the main quest line instead of divert you off into subquests, is that, yeah, you you get those set pieces, and those set pieces are a big focus, so they spend a lot of time designing them. I feel remiss not bringing up Witcher 3 in this entire conversation, but... I just don't have enough experience with that series, you know? Yeah, I don't actually have a lot of experience with those seri- that series either, even though I really love, um, like, Eastern European open world games. Like, I played, a, I don't know if it quite fits in the conversation we've been having, but I really like the Stalker series a whole bunch. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's it's exactly the type of game that should appeal to me, but for whatever reason, I've never played any of the Witcher titles. Witcher 3 seems intent on kind of balancing between Dragon Age and Skyrim. It's almost like an RPG Red Dead Redemption. Oh, man. Where... Like, oh, man. Now I really want to play it. Well, because you're riding around on your horse, you know, you're going through towns. Um, your character is much more clearly defined than in a, like, a Skyrim or like an Elder Scrolls game. Um, and. It's built around taking out, I mean, it's built around the hunts, right? Where you're, where you go on an extended quest line to figure out how to, first of all, what is this monster that's terrorizing people? And then how can you kill it? Like you have to do the research and then finally you go and kill it, which, which is fun. And it's all set against this backdrop of like, um, you know, an expansionist empire, like destroying another empire and war and all that kind of stuff and political intrigue. So a lot of people say that Witcher 3 out Dragon Age, Dragon Age, (laughs) which I don't think that they're really comparable in some ways because Dragon Age is more party-based combat, which I prefer, whereas Witcher 3 is hack and slash, like... It's, it's a third-person hack-and-slash action game. Yeah, I was going to say, the Witcher games, have, one of the reasons I've stayed away from them is that they've always come off as like more of a third, like third-person action games that happen to have a lot of RPG framework built around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not 100% my thing. Like, I really love the the Souls stuff, but also the Souls stuff is, like, it's an action game. It doesn't pretend. Yeah. I'm... A lot of people say that the action in a Bethesda game is its weakest point, and I don't entirely disagree. But I honestly really enjoyed 
walking around with my left hand on fire and my right hand having like an ice sword or something. Oh yeah, that stuff is good in Skyrim. And then as far as like the combat stuff in Bethesda games, I actually do like the vats. Um, mm, you do? Yeah. I mean, like it's not the greatest thing in the world, but I think that it strikes a nice balance between kind of the the turn-based approach that you sort of sometimes want in those games and the more action-oriented approach that you can take when there's just a whole bunch of dudes on screen. I tolerate it, but I'm not a fan of it because I think it's fine, but it's repetitive. It is repetitive, which is, I think it's one really big failing, but also it's optional, right? No, it is, yeah. <laughs> um, in New Vegas, I, I don't... After a... I used weapons that weren't super conducive to using vats anyway. Yeah. Like, I feel like vats is the kind of thing you want to do when you want to, when you have a really powerful weapon. Yeah, vats is the kind of thing for, like, a really powerful weapon that it's, that's a little harder to aim than you might Like a really, like, really powerful, slow-loading rifle. Yeah. Um, although, I yeah, eventually in New Vegas, I just got a scoped sniper rifle and I never even used vats. Because I didn't need to. No. You know what I used in in New Vegas? A shotgun. Oh man, that's oh, yeah, that sounds good and fun. And then I didn't even use it in the final battle because I convinced the uh, evil general Caesar guy to stand down and leave. Really? Oh yep. man, you have to get your persuasion way up. Yeah, I think that I had my persuasion way up, but one thing I'll say about um, New Vegas. Like, we were complaining about how it doesn't have... We were complaining about how Fallout doesn't do epic set pieces very well. Uh, the Hoover Dam is pretty good. Yeah, the, Ho the Hoover Dam thing is really good. But also, that's an Obsidian game. It's not a Bethesda game. The, yeah, but it's in the engine. Yeah. You know, I'm actually wondering how much of the epic set piece thing is the failing of the engine or just the way that the Bethesda teams are structured around building those games. Mm. And I think it's... Like, maybe it's a little bit of both. Um but eh, hard to say. Like, I'm actually going to be really interested in seeing if Fallout 4 kind of makes good on the, the promise of its epic scope that sort of shows up in those trailers that they've released. Mm. Yeah, I guess we'll see, won't we? Yeah, we're going to find out on Tuesday in your review. Yes, we will. We will find out on Tuesday in my review. In the meantime, you may recall that last week I put out a big call for email or for mailbag questions um and i gave away a free copy of some game um i'm not even oh dragon quest heroes duh um i was totally blanking on it but um i got a lot of good questions and so i don't want those questions to go to waste so i am going to pick a question of the week for a little while and this week's question comes from eric cuberty and he says that not the most original question ever, but I would love to hear a discussion on what major areas in RPGs you see the most room for improvement as the genre continues to grow. Is the biggest need for innovation in mechanics, narrative, interface, platform, etc.? Not that all games have to be innovative to be good, but what titles do you see as really pushing the genre ahead? Sorry if that has already been talked about to death. No, I actually think that is a good question. Um, what do you think, Steve? Like, if there was... If there's one thing that the genre as a whole could be better at, what would it be? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot about the story stuff and kind of the way that the lore sort of comes off as a flavor of the week kind of thing. Um, I would like to see more inventive and diverse lore, especially in fantasy games. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's like, I, I think that that's sort of necessary for RPGs to kind of keep growing. Um, and then also, I think that another big thing that they need is like lots of UI improvement, actually. Like usability yeah. has been a really big problem in, in RPGs for a while now. Um, and I mean, I've got, it's not even out yet, but I've got a perfect counterpoint saying like, Hey, UIs can be cool. It's Persona 5. Like we talked about that uh, a couple times ago when I was on. And that's like, even if those menus are not super functional, like, I mean, I won't know until we actually get to play the game. They're really cool. <laughs> like, if you can't make your UI good, at least make it really cool. <laughs> I think RPG stories have been lacking for a while. 
it's yeah. telling that my favorite RPG story is probably like Bloodborne. Yeah, that is really telling because I'm not yeah. a I'm not a super huge fan of Bloodborne's story, but I do like the way that the story is told. Um, a lot of RPG stories have a lot of words, and often I want to skip them. Yeah, I mean, like that that leads right to my comment about the lore stuff, right? Like why I don't play play Bioware games a whole bunch. Um, I do. I think that environmental storytelling is something that. RPGs are really lacking in right now that other genres have kind of picked up on super well. And I think a big part of that is that, you know, you're making an RPG, like there are writers on the staff and they want to write. Like you don't have environment artists, you have writers and that's where the difference comes in. Yeah, absolutely. I, there have been good RPG stories for sure. I mean, Persona 4, I really like Persona 4's story. I love Persona 4's that, story. Not only was I completely engaged with the cast from pretty much the first moment, it, I like, I was totally, like, I wanted to know what happened, what was going on with the murder mystery. I wanted to do the social links. I wanted to see the next vignette. And the fact that it wasn't a chore to get through versus so many RPGs where it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, fine. I want to mess around with, like, my character some more. I I think um, was kind of an accomplishment. Yeah. And uh, even if you go back 15 years ago, like, they, I'm not going to go out and call Final Fantasy VII or Xenogears the greatest stories ever told, but they were really ambitious and interesting. Yeah. And I think they took risks. Yeah, they definitely did i mean like xenogear's story is the so it was such a big risk they didn't even finish the damn game yeah no no kidding Watch. yeah i mean like i can i don't think they're good games but i appreciate the ambition and behind them um and then actually like i think a really good i mean you know it just came up came out a couple of months ago and you and bob talked about it like undertale actually is a good example mm. of telling kind of a more innovative non-traditional story through through essentially just world building and mechanics and i think that game does really smart things with the way that it tells its story um i don't think it's necessarily the greatest story in the world but it's super involving and i mean obviously a lot of people love it so i think i think there are better ways to communicate with an audience than just straight up lore i think is what we're both kind of getting down to here that would it seems like that's the biggest thing that especially western rpgs need I mean, the all the examples that you gave of games that had ambitious stories or that had involving stories, they're JRPGs or JRPG-style games. Well, so many people, when, you, when you're talking about lore, so many people um, were spent so much time praising Bioware for its freaking codexes. Being like, man, did you see those codecs? They're such interesting reads that Bioware was like, oh, let's go crazy. I know. So, like, my favorite things about the codecs is, is that, um, like, occasionally you'll get one that's just, like, one sentence that's a, that says something totally mundane and boring. And to me, that is the best stuff because that's honestly most of what that world would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels, I don't want to say disingenuous, but it feels maybe a little a little self-important to kind of just dump so many words into so many trivial things. I agree. But, you know, like that's, again, it's a staff of writers and what they want to do is write and writing is what they're good at. So if you like that kind of thing, I mean, those are absolutely the games to play. Yeah. I I think in terms of non-story things, I think the thing that bothers me about RPGs is as a whole, like on both sides of the, of the equation is that it's a, kind of a hidebound genre like i think it's it might be the most conservative genre out there right now yeah outside of maybe the first uh no first person shooters are more conservative yeah i think the first person shooters are i mean they're super conservative have they really changed that much since halo at this point yes really call of duty 4 is way different than halo okay so i I mean 2000 i think it's i I think the dividing line is call of duty 4 okay see i didn't invest a whole bunch of time in call of duty 4 so well i'm just like if you look at the way that shooters have evolved there's a clear demarcation right no i'm absolutely no i mean i'm totally gonna agree with you but it's like they're very conservative yeah going on eight years um the progress has been very incremental, but RPGs, like, 
their design tropes and the way that they approach things go way further back than 2007. Oh, yeah. They go back to the friggin' 70s, right? Right. Well, I mean, we had this conversation during the turn-based battle thing. Like, I mean, they're explicit mechanics lifted from D&D, right? In the first Final Fantasy and in the first Dragon Quest. And that's carried through basically all the way until the present day. Well, um, you think about, like, Diablo 2 and brought brought the skill tree and that kind of thing into yeah. it. And Diablo 2, people were like, well, it's not an RPG. But Diablo 2 did so much for the entire genre on both sides of the ocean, both JRPGs or like all kinds of RPGs, MMORPGs, you name it, right? Yeah. And I feel like that, that and maybe to a lesser extent, what Bethesda has done with, um, Fallout and Elder Scrolls, like, um, that maybe have, might have been, like, the biggest spike in true systems innovation for an RPG. Yeah, I think that's, like, the really big flashpoint for Western RPGs, especially. And then, I mean, as far as JRPGs go, you have... I mean, at this point, you basically have two branches, right? You have, like, the Dragon Quest Final Fantasy branch, which tends to be... Very conservative. Relatively I mean, conservative. Well, Final Fantasy, people are always like, well, you know, Final Fantasy is always taking risks. I'm like, I, I don't necessarily know that that's the truth, because if you look at Final Fantasy X and thirteen, right, it, they, they were very similar games. Yeah, they, they mix up the systems a little bit, but I don't think they take really huge risks. And then Lightning um, they, Returns took a lot of risks. Yeah, it, That was it a did. fun I, game. I actually like Lightning Returns a whole lot. Um, yes, we got another one. Yeah, you've got like the Dragon Quest Final Fantasy on one side, and then on the other side, you've got Shin Megami Tensei. And they're very different experiences, but they're both very conservative within the bounds of their series. I think Persona 4 has done a ridiculous, or Persona 3 and 4, I should say, yeah, so have done a ridiculous and, amount to push for, like, well, they take a lot of risks, they and did, they're very interesting. They did take a lot of risks on the SMT formula, and I, but I think that... I mean, we can't really know until Persona 5 comes out, right? But I'm actually wondering if this, if that's going to continue or if Persona 5 is going to be kind of another reinvention of the series. And I hope so. I, I hope it is, too. Like, it seems, you know, I, I want it to be a reinvention of the series for a whole slew of reasons. But, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. But it's also interesting that kind of none of the the SMT series stuff has washed over any other... RPG series, either in the East or the West, even though they're really popular games. The funny thing is, agree, I think JRPGs have taken more risks and been more innovative in the past five years than Western RPGs. And here's why. Okay. Western RPGs, uh, if you look at um, Elder... Bethesda games have a formula at this point and they stick pretty scrupulously to that formula uh bioware games have moved more toward action and have gotten less interesting and have gotten more toward kind of a traditional action formula um like you could argue that divinity original sin is like the most ambitious western rpg in some time um companies like obsidian like they've gone back they've actually gone backward to games like pillars of eternity which is just an infinity engine game from like the late 90s it's a great game great story great systems and everything but i mean it's kind of retrograde in that respect whereas on the japanese side and i hate i actually kind of hate categorizing where it's like well there's the western and there's the eastern but persona 4 a game like Persona 4, you know, is, like, it's just really forward-thinking in the way that it structures everything and the way that it approaches its battle system and the way that it approaches its narrative. Um, and it's, in a way, an open-world game, but not quite. It's just, it's really interesting in a way that I'm not necessarily getting out of Western RPGs. Yeah, it presents you, and I think that's really one of the big things that made the Persona series, like, and the SMT series in general click with me a little bit more than a lot of Western RPGs have lately is that it's, it's, you make interesting decisions, right? Like it doesn't, it sounds like the most boring decision in the world to decide, like, do I stay home and study tonight or do I go on a date? But it's like in those games, it's actually a really critical decision to make. 
Yeah, what it comes down to. I mean, that's why I like team building, right? Yeah. Um, so much in a game because those are interesting decisions that you find yourself stressing out a lot about in a game. Do I want to build this person or this person? Do I want to go with do I want to go with this approach to customization or that approach? But I I think it's like with anything. Um but unfortunately RPGs are such huge expensive games to make and so time intensive that I can understand sort of why developers are reticent to take a lot of risks with the way that they approach them because yeah. God forbid that it that everybody hates it and it turns out to be a total failure. Whoa. Could you imagine if like could you imagine if like Fallout 4 completely like nuked the formula pardon the expression <laughs> um and turned it into something totally different? Oh. Could you imagine how much people would freak the hell out? I can totally imagine that. And I think in the another reason why we see this in the in the West a whole bunch is it's that confluence of Oh, it's a very conservative genre to begin with, but also it's AAA game development, which is a really risky proposition no matter what you're making. And it's, and conversely, that's like why on the Final Fantasy side, I mean, we see really super conservative Final Fantasy games, unless they're Lightning Returns. I mean, like, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the Final Fantasy 15 if that's a massive flop after it's been in development for what, 10, 13 years? Watch Final Fantasy fifteen turns out to be like the game of the decade. God, people if that, are like, if that I is... can't believe it! Oh my god, it's so good. You know what? If that is actually true, that I would could not possibly be happier. I would love to have a good Final Fantasy game again. Yeah, well, if they want to do that, just give me Final Fantasy ten, twelve HD. Ooh, we need to talk about <laughs> Final Fantasy twelve sometime, Cat. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You weren't here. Oh well. We did a, a we did a big we did a big podcast about the localization because we uh, we recently ran a, a really meaty feature um, where we or it was kind of an oral history of the of the um, uh, of the localization of that game it was really oh, interesting. Yeah. you should check it out yeah that game that was uh, Alexander Smith did the localization on that right yep yeah yep. he's a good guy friend of the podcast John Learned did that one so. In any case. All right. Well, Eric Huberty, thanks so much for sending me your question. I'm sorry I don't have anything to send you, but I'm going to keep reading questions on the air. So feel free to keep sending me our, uh, to keep sending me mailbag questions and I will get to them in due course. In the meantime, I have another contest to announce. I am giving away a free copy of the Xbox One version of Fallout 4 next week. So this is how you're going to do it. This is how you can get your free copy of Fallout 4 for the Xbox One. Send me a screenshot from an RPG. It could be any RPG. And I will pick the one that I find just the most interesting, the most artistic, the most creative, the most fun, the weirdest. No Photoshop, please. And... Yeah, just send it along, and the winner will be posted in the show notes. I'll also post some runners-up, and you'll get a free copy of Fallout 4 for the Xbox One. So oh, That sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. So have fun. Be creative. Be interesting. I, I They say that a picture can tell a thousand words, um, so m- maybe they can be even more interesting than um, crappy RPG lore. Oh, man. Man, we slagged on lore so much this episode. I, I know. We hate lore. I didn't plan on doing that. It's just how it turned out. The anti-lore episode. All right. So that's the end of our episode. Um, Steve, quickly, got anything to plug? I do not have anything to plug this week, uh, but thank you for asking. No problem. I do have things to plug. Uh, the first thing is that I'm going to plug is we're on Stitcher now. Um, you can find us... Same place as always, Acts of the Blood God. Do me a favor and leave a review because that will incre- increase our visibility. And if you're enjoying the podcast, also leave a review over on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. Um, as always, you can find us on YouTube as US Gamer. Um, we're going to do a little more streaming on Twitch soon. You can find us there on US GamerNet and on Twitter, US GamerNet. I- think that's everything that needs plugging at the moment we're 
pretty knee deep in reviews. But so yeah, keep an eye on the on the website as always. But next time, I'm sure that you're probably sitting here having listened to us talk for like an hour and a half or whatever, however long we've been talking. Um it's been a while. you're probably wondering Cat, where the heck is your Trails in the Sky second quest or second chapter discussion? Why haven't you been talking about it? This is like a big deal and everything. Well, the answer is I have arranged an interview with Exceeds Localizers. It's going to be on next week. So please look forward to that. And of course, we're going to have even more Fallout 4 discussion. Like, well, we're going to go really in depth on Fallout 4 in particular. So you can look forward to that as well. But until then... Steve, thanks for dropping by and talking about interesting things with me as always. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I'm always happy to be here. And I've been Cat Bailey, and until next time, happy adventuring. Mm-hmm.